This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Israel is in a state of political upheaval with this week's elections. It's unclear whether Benjamin Netanyahu will hold control or be able to form a government, or if his time as prime minister has come to an end. The country he has led for the last decade continues to be the center of international conflict and political strife, including here in the United States. But some religious leaders are stepping up to try to promote peace and understanding between people of different faiths and ethnicities and political leanings. Tonight, the Interfaith Council of Metropolitan Detroit and Churches for Middle East Peace are going to host the second of two events titled Pilgrimage to Peace. Speakers are going to address how peace can be possible in Israel and Palestine, how religious leaders can help, and how we can all move forward to find common ground in otherwise polarizing discussions. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today, and we've got three great guests to facilitate that. Dr. May Elise Cannon is uh, Executive Director of Churches for Middle East Peace in Washington, D.C. Dr. Cannon, welcome to Detroit Today. Good to be with you, Stephen. Also with us is Rabbi Daniel Roth. He's an Israeli citizen and director of the Mosaica Center's Religious Peace Initiative. Rabbi Roth, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. And Aziz Abu Sarah is a Palestinian peace activist, a journalist, entrepreneur, and politician. Aziz, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having us. So I want to start with uh, each of you talking about your stories and how you became involved in this idea of promoting common ground and peace in Israel and Palestine. Dr. Cannon, I'll start with you. Sure. So I'm ordained in an evangelical denomination, and as an evangelical, I was raised in the context of the church to love Israel and to love the Jewish people. And I hope we continue to do so, but I've come to believe we can only love the Jewish people if we also love their Palestinian neighbors. And so our work focuses on what it means to bring peace and justice in a way that is honoring um, and promoting equality for Israelis, Palestinians, Jews, Muslims, and Christians in the Holy Land. And, and uh, you know, you say that, and it sounds absolutely wonderful. But if you watch any minute of uh, television coverage or read anything in the newspaper uh, about that region uh, of the planet, uh, it sounds almost impossible what you're talking about. Uh, talk about why, for you, uh, there's possibility in, in what you're saying and maybe a little hope. One of the greatest challenges we have, particularly here in the U.S. context, which is very relevant here in Michigan as well, is this bifurcation and this false binary that you have to choose a side. Whose side are you on? And part of the work we need to do and part of what gives us hope is that actually if we are for one side over the other or one side against the other, there's never going to be a prospect for peace. That if you truly care for justice for Palestinians and an end of the occupation of the Palestinian people, you have to care for peace and security for their Jewish Israeli neighbors and Palestinian citizens of Israel as well. Yeah. And so we're seeing movement in that regard where increasingly Muslims, Jews, and Christians are coming together to promote justice and peace for all people, not just for one side over the other. Hmm. Uh, Rabbi Roth, uh, you're an Israeli citizen, uh, so I would imagine that you've been paying close attention to these <laughs> elections. Uh, uh, I, I have also been paying attention, probably not as long or as intensely as you have um, uh, tell me what the the strife is there uh, in in the political context and how it kind of relates to the work uh, that you're doing in the religious peace initiative. So um, 
the issue that has become really at the core of this last election is yes, BB, no BB. And almost every other issue has paled in comparison to that primary question. I think that is a preview, perhaps, of what we will face here in the United States it's next year. Unfortunately and strangely enough, for some strange coincidence over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of attacks on our media. I don't know where that came from and a lot of other type of echoes translated into Hebrew from certain conflicts that are happening in America. Hmm. And that's become a real issue. It's the party that's standing up against Bibi is really not even left-wing. They're really kind of a, a mix of people saying, we want to keep state institutions and democracy intact. And we want to be responsible adults. So that's been a challenge. Um, how that affects religious peace? Well, sometimes the politicians get in the way. Um, but we have been working for the last 20 years in our initiative in engaging the most radical, most influential, most conservative Islamic leaders and religious Zionist leaders on both sides. Hmm. So actually, ironically, um, we've been engaging those on the, on the extremes and the politicians don't always um, know how to uh, engage them and how to move things forward. Yeah. Uh, when you're engaging people on the extremes, uh, I, again, I think <clears throat> the, the immediate reaction for some people is that's not going to work. Uh, that, that, that People who are dug in, the way people are dug in right now, are maybe not reachable with a message that says uh, maybe you ought to know more about what the other side thinks. Maybe you ought to see the other side uh, as more like you than perhaps you believe they are? So first, 25 years ago, I might have agreed, don't engage the extremists. Let's go to the common kind of centrist, uh, common ground between the Israelis and Palestinians. But if you go to the same doctor 25 years in a row, gives you the same prescription, every time you get you walk out, you get a uh, another case of, uh, of a sickness, of nausea, you might want to try new medicine. The medicine that we're trying to prescribe is, why don't we take the people that have always been excluded from the peace tent, expand the peace tent, and say, what would it look like to engage the leaders of the Islamic movements? Um, what would it look like to engage the most extreme religious Zionist rabbis? And can, they, can we bring them together in a deep conversation that deals with the politics and the structural problems and everything? And that's where we have continued to make incredible groundwork. And, and from there, I, I draw a tremendous amount of um, hope and optimism that actually there are some out-of-box thinking that Americans are simply unaware of because they keep on being stuck in seeing the conflict as real estate instead of understanding it's the meaning of the land. And there are people that understand the meaning of the land that are, bringing, that are coming together to try to solve our problems. Mm -hmm. uh, Aziz, uh, talk about from your perspective uh, the things that we see in the news Today, in Israel and in the United States, uh, are we in a space where people might be more open to the idea of dialogue across a great divide? I think people are open to the idea of dialogue across the divide. The problem I find in my work is that there is very little information. There is very little knowledge of who's on the other side. And even when people, for example, come to travel to Israel and Palestine, they seem to usually go with one area, one group, and they get really more uh, one narrative, the Palestinian narrative or the Israeli narrative, leaving the country very one-sided. And I see that also in the media here. People will tap into the media that will fit into whatever their opinion is and will feed themselves the information they like, and they do it in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as well. So uh, eventually you keep your opinion, whatever it is. What I try to do is always fight this ignorance, um, 
the indifference that people have about the Israeli and Palestinian conflict and say, I want you to hear the stories you don't usually hear. I want you to connect to people you don't normally connect with. And I don't mean only position, political positions. I mean people's stories, people's lives, to understand what does it mean to be a Palestinian. You know, you mentioned the elections right now. I grew up all my life in Jerusalem. I'm not allowed to vote in those elections. And people often surprise that I'm not allowed to vote in Jerusalem, which Israel claims to be its capital. And yet a third of the people who live there don't have citizenship. That includes myself. Mm -hmm. So this is, but I don't want people to only hear those positions. I want them to understand how does that affect my life? How does that affect people's life? How does an Israeli life goes by because of the current policies and problems and the conflict that we have? Yeah. Um, when you talk about not being able to vote in the place where you live, um, you know, I, I can't help but kind of flash back to, to times in this country uh, when people who look like me could not vote in the in the place they live. And I wonder if you can talk about how hard it is to stay in the space where you're open to dialogue about that, right? I mean, a lot of people would say that's not something to talk about. That is something to fight about. That is something to sort of stand up and push back against. Why are you in a different space than that? Or are you maybe in more than one space uh, on that issue. I see dialogue as a way to push back. I see dialogue as a form of social justice struggle. I, I don't see fighting for justice as us versus them, as Palestinians versus Israelis, Muslims and Christians versus Jews. Uh, I see the us as a much wider tent where uh, Israelis, Palestinians, Muslims, Christians, Jews can be together fighting for justice versus those who are not there yet. And my struggle is to convince those who are not there to join us and to understand that Israelis will not have security and peace without me as a Palestinian also getting security and peace and equal representation. And the same for Palestinians. We will not get there if we see Israelis and Jews as our enemies. So to me, getting to know each other is doing that. And I, I grew up in that in that reality. I mean, my brother was killed when I was 10 years old by Israelis, so, uh, by Israeli soldiers. So it's, I see how my life transformed. And I went from being angry, bitter, seeking revenge to becoming a person who realizes that that will never solve it, solve the, the conflict. That will get us in a vicious cycle that will keep us continuing to hate each other, to kill each other. And I want to break away from this cycle. Uh, we're talking about uh, politics and culture and faith in the Middle East and what effect those dialogues and conflicts are having here in Metro Detroit. We're talking with three people who are deeply involved with an effort to get people to talk more with one another about those differences, to maybe see that the people who sit on the other side of the divide, whether it's political or religious, uh, may have more in common uh, than you think they do. Certainly, uh, they want people to be able to talk with one another as a way of moving beyond some of those conflicts. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think of what we see each day on the news about what's going on in the Middle East, uh, about the Israeli elections right now, which are getting a lot of attention. Uh, also, tell us what you think about the idea of dialogue, the role that dialogue can play in bridging profound gaps uh, between people of different religions or political stripes 
uh, between people who have perhaps been at war with each other in the past. Uh, as always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Diana on Twitter says, uh, anyone who doesn't advocate for a two-state solution wants perpetual violence and conflict. Full stop. Uh, you guys had an event last night at Hope Lutheran Church in Farmington Hills. I am really curious uh, what you heard from people here in Metro Detroit during that event. Uh, Dr. Cannon, you want to start? Sure. I thought it was a robust conversation. And, you know, part of what we're talking about is what does it mean for us, you know, as religious leaders or um, others when this is not a religious conflict and there's a geopolitical aspect to the conflict. And I just wanted to respond to this whole idea of dialogue. At least for Churches for Middle East Peace, we see dialogue as the starting point, but we're actually an advocacy organization. So we are against the annexation of the West Bank and we are against the annexation of the Golan Heights from Syria. And we're working against the settlements enterprise, you know, which is making a two-state solution. Many people would say absolutely impossible. And others would say the door is, you know, almost completely closed. So I just wanted to clarify that dialogue is a critical component of peace building. But when you talk about the injustices, you know, I was thinking about the Voting Rights Act of mm -hmm. 1965. There are grave injustices happening in the region and they're not unilateral and they're um, our dynamics of oppression. And so what does it mean for dialogue to be a way to fight back as a starting point, but also to advocate for human rights, equality, and justice? Yeah. I mean, that tension is is real in a lot of people's minds and in their lives, right? And and if you think of the things that we're talking about and arguing about right now in this country, uh, I think more and more people are being pushed to try to define that role, what role they think they ought to be playing. There are a lot of people who are saying, I'm done talking, uh, this is not something you discuss. This is something you fight. Uh, and, and it's hard, I think, to get people beyond that once they reach that point. And we want people to engage constructively and to fight, but to fight nonviolently. So Churches for Middle East Peace seeks to mobilize American Christians to engage in that fight by engaging in our political system to call for more just policies from the U.S. Mm. Because the U.S. is a major player. We say the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is not a foreign policy issue. It's a domestic policy issue because so many people in the U.S. are so deeply entrenched in their beliefs about what the solution should be. Yeah. Uh, Rabbi Daniel Roth, do you want to talk about uh, this event last night in Farmington? Uh, yes, but I, I, I want to first make a note about the uh, the participation in elections, because mm -hmm. it's actually a really big issue this year, uh, this past election, that there were 13 seats that were went to the Arab parties, which are four different parties, one of them being communist that sits in the Knesset, the other one being the Islamic movement. Um, and an amazing thing happened just a few weeks ago that the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in Qatar, El Rasuni, actually gave his blessing for Palestinians to participate in elections. So it's true that in East Jerusalem, because their final status is unclear, they're going to be part of Palestine, they're going to be part of Israel, they don't have voting and they're kind of stuck in between these two different scenarios. But Israeli citizen, uh, Arab citizens of Israel or Palestinians Israelis, as they're called, have been voting and actually came out more and more, hmm. and they see that participation as not as normalization with a given situation, but as a way of actually trying to shift realities and make their lives a lot better. And I think that that's, you know, it's not exactly dialogue, but it speaks to the fact of there are ways to kind of advocate which are not strictly kind of violent, but are nonviolent. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a, an important thing. Yeah. 
just one reflection on the talk last night, I think the biggest challenge is can we hold up and give space for contradictory narratives? And I engage every day with extremely contradictory narratives, people that are convinced that there is no narrative on the other side. And can we hold that up and yet advocate for what we hold to be true? And I think that those are not in contradiction. I think the best advocacy is when you really understand the fears and the concerns and the needs of the other and the limits of our understanding, but don't have that shut us down, have that work, but work in a smart way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aziz, uh, what were your thoughts out of last night? I think the event was great. And what was great about it is that many of the people who came were well, somewhat well-informed, which is not common. I I do quite a lot of events (laughs) and in the United States, and there's a lot of misconceptions, especially being a Palestinian, often there are tons of misconceptions about mm-hmm. uh, Palestinians. And last night, the, the people who were there had a lot of good questions. Uh, they weren't afraid to ask questions, questions that were tough, and I think that's good. Uh, we shouldn't be afraid to say, to ask the things that that might be hard to ask and might be even in some way offensive. And there were a couple of those last night. And I see that as a positive thing, not as a negative thing. And I would encourage people to ask more questions than to quickly come to a conclusion. Um, when when I formed my company, Mejdi Tours, with uh, Scott, who's Jewish and Palestinian, which is a rare thing, you would assume in a country that's more or less half and half, there'll be a lot of joint ventures. There's, I know about a handful in mm-hmm. the whole country. Uh, one of the main things we wanted to do is to encourage people to ask the questions they're usually afraid to ask, to ask the questions that they think it's politically incorrect to ask. But if we don't ask those questions, then we will continue to go into our stereotypes and our thoughts that the other is whatever we paint them to be. Right, right. Um, Aziz, I wonder if you see possibility in the current elections that are that are taking place. Is Rabbi Roth pointed out there were some things that happened that may give uh, Arab peoples uh, a, a, a bigger voice in the government uh, in Israel. Do you do you have hope that this is maybe a turning point? I'll, I'll start with saying I'm a little jealous because <laughs> at least you have an election, even though I'm not always happy with the results of the elections in Israel. <laughs> On the Palestinian side, unfortunately, we haven't had an election since 2006, mm-hmm. and so people like me have almost never had a chance. Uh, the average Asian Palestinian is 19 years old, mm. and most of us have never had a chance to vote. To vote. And our leadership is not really, the average age is about 70, and we haven't had a chance to choose our leadership. Um, so that's one thing that I hope to see change on the Palestinian side. Uh, with what's happening in Israel, I think, unfortunately, still no no big party will be willing to include an Arab uh, Arab parties in the coalition. I don't see that changing anytime soon, and that's very disappointing. I would say it's uh, it's ridiculous that the third largest party is not even in any conversation about being part of the coalition. Mm-hmm. With that being said, if there is uh, a government between Likud and uh, Blue and White, then that makes the opposition leadership led by the Arab parties. And that would be a big change, that the voices of, um, of the Palestinians in Israel would be magnified and will be heard much more. So I, I hope more and more Palestinians in, Israel's, in Israel do vote, because that, that would give us a lot more power in the Knesset, and that would make our voices more heard. Mm-hmm. 
so tonight, you guys have another event. Uh, it is at 7 p.m. at the War Memorial in Gross Point. Uh, Dr. Cannon, talk about what you expect to learn tonight. Yes, I think tonight's conversation will be a bit different because the environment's different. It's not in the local church. And um, I was going to invite people to come and join us. So thank you for letting them know about the event and the gathering tonight. Um, and our other invitations that we want to offer, you know, Aziz leads a tour company called Mejdi Tours that does multi-narrative tour experiences. And many synagogues and mosques and certainly churches, millions of people travel to the region every year and only see a limited you know, snapshot of what's happening there. And so part of our invitation, if you can't come tonight, travel with us to the region. Churches <laughs> for Middle East Peace does trips. And yeah. we really want people to be willing to open their eyes and engage in dialogue, which is what tonight hopes to be. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. May Elise Cannon, uh, Rabbi Daniel Roth, and Aziz Abu Sarah, thank you all for being here with us on Detroit Today. And good luck for your, uh, with your, uh, good luck with your event tonight. Thanks for having me, Thank you for having me. All right, uh, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. We're going to have a fun conversation about UFOs. Sightings are on the rise around the world and here in Michigan. We'll take your calls about whether you've seen anything strange in the sky or what you might think is behind these sightings. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, your connection for music and news and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.